0: On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the gamers who game them. My name is Irana Aviran.
1: And my name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello.
0: And today we're here to talk about mechanics or the absence of, because sometimes during the game, we encounter something that we really want to have in the story, but we don't have the mechanics, the rules for it. We need to do some translation and maybe the rulebook of whatever system we're using doesn't offer any solution, not even in one of its many subsystems. We need to sit down and either create something new or repurpose something that already exists.
1: That's very, very true. A lot of time in the more experimental games, shall we say, when we play around with characters' psyche and ideas, or simply want to introduce a new narrative element, or a brand new idea or concept to the gaming world in which we play, one of the major hindrances of that would be, okay... That's awesome. I I would love to have psychological effects on my D&D characters. However, how will that be manifesting in the game mechanics? And if not, does it have any real influence over the game?
0: I would say no. I would start with this assumption. If it doesn't exist in the mechanics, it's not part of the game. We can talk about it, we can discuss it, it can be part of the story, but it's not part of the game, and I will not be doing any important, powerful decisions based on it. If I, as a GM, tell you, Uri, that you are afraid of whatever, but there are no rules that actually make you feel as if your character is having something, you know, something is actually happening to her in-game then you can behave as if you're afraid. You can have whatever, I don't know, decisions as if you're afraid, but there will be nothing compared to if I say you have to roll against being afraid.
1: We have a gaming world with rules guiding it. And if there's something not within those rules and mechanics, then it's up to me as the player to decide how much an effect would that have on my character. Yes. If my character is currently very, very afraid of this really, really big monster, which for some reason reminds my character of its dad, but there's no mechanical implication to that, it's up to me. And maybe I will say, oh my god, that is really frightening for my character. I'm going to give it a a minus five to every roll I make for the next combat. This could really mess up with game balance. And on the other hand, it could be, oh, that my character is very much afraid, I would give myself a minus one to saving throws against fear. I, as a player, am not necessarily versed enough in the mechanic and game balance concept of any gaming system to make an informed decision.
0: Ah, so you should listen to this episode and then you'll have some information to do your decisioning.
1: Indeed, decisioning is what we're talking about. Here's some of our top three suggestions of what to do. And number one is, take the mechanics you have and use it in new and novel ways. For example, if I, as a game master, want to make exploration more scary and interesting for my characters, I'm thinking, okay, my Players have characters and they're roaming the world. And when they are meeting something new, I want this to be a, a frightening experience. I want this, oh my God, this is a monster we have never seen. What, what's going on? What, what powers does it have? So maybe I'm going to use an existing mechanic, for example, templates in Pathfinder. And I'm going to add a template of uh, unknown to creature, which gives any creature which is unknown to the party special bonuses. And thus, I'm going to make sure that the player knows that every time their character is meeting a creature which they have never seen before, that creature is going to be harder to beat because it has this new template with new powers based on the fact that they have met something new. And this is a an in-mechanic way of introducing the concept of this is new, therefore it is more dangerous.
0: I want to give an example from a different system, Savage World, something that I actually just ran a few weeks back. Savage Worlds have an interesting chase system. Not a lot of games that I know have a chase system, which is, you know, when you're being chased or chase someone else. And you roll against this and that, and you draw some cards, and you get to do some actions, and maybe there are complications, and there are special maneuvers you can do to try to outmaneuver your opponent and maybe attack them or maybe trip them or whatever. So I like the system, and I've been using it a lot, actually, even for things that are not essentially chases. For example, last time I used it to search a haunted fort and make sure they manage to do it before nightfall, because when nightfall comes, the ghosts arise, and they really don't want to be there when that happens. Now, savage Worlds already have a system for something similar. It's called Dramatic Tasks. But I really like the chase system specifically, and I find it more enticing and more more interesting. And so I use this with a combination of the Dramatic Task, the two old mechanics in new ways, to make them explore, roll some dice, to find some treasure, to avoid some other monsters, and... Keep track of time all with these systems and make them feel as if they are doing an entire exploration of a fort in, I think it was like half an hour.
1: It's really interesting that you mentioned chasing because uh, in Curse of the Crimson Throne, the Pathfinder adventure path, uh, and I'm not going to uh, make any spoilers here. There is a, a chase scene and there isn't a good chasing Uh, mechanic in Pathfinder however they did take the existing rules and abilities and created some sort of a chase mechanics simply for that specific chase which was something that I really loved because they've used they allow different characters to use their strengths in order to try and beat someone in a chase I, I just love it when you can see that someone clearly sat down and consider how to create a new dramatic element based on the existing mechanic, and really gave a lot of thought to game balance within that thing. Of course, if I've mentioned Pathfinder and D&D, etc., there's plenty of things you can do with that. For example, we can talk about the feats and conditions and bonuses that simply you add to your game. For example, if I want someone to have psychological damage, I could simply say, okay, there is a condition called uh, psychologically impaired and now I am get a minus or a bonus, etc. Uh, for D&D 5th edition, for an, another example, you can always add new reasons to gain advantage or disadvantage and thus adding using that old mechanic in a new way.
0: Speaking about D&D 5, I have a concept for a character. She's a necromancer, technically a warlock, infusing the rules, but she has raised her daddy as a zombie and he's following her around and doing stuff. It's all very dark and she's on a quest for vengeance against the people that killed her family and she's using her dad as, as the tool to do so. But warlocks don't have zombies walking around with them, and I don't want it to be <coughs> raised zombie spell or whatever. I actually thought about it more like the ranger beastmaster archetype. So when and if I'll play this character, I will be playing her as a warlock. But instead of taking one of the warlock archetypes, I will take the ranger beastmaster archetype, using the zombie as the beasts that she can send against her enemies, etc., Nice. Thank you. That's a very simple use, I think, of all mechanics in new ways, just by mixing and matching. And by the way, this is something that the people behind D and D have been talking about for years, and they actually encourage this sort of thing. Archetypes, for example, in D and D, are not essentially tied to specific classes. And even more than that, specific abilities can be switched between archetypes and between character classes, something that they also recommended in D&D 4, by the way. Let us continue to the second point, which is the logical continuation of the previous. If you don't have an existing mechanic that you can tweak with, you might need to create a new subsystem that supports the new narrative concept that you came up with. This is the bread and butter of Powered by the Apocalypse games. Whenever you want to have a new mechanical effect, and as we said, any effect that you want to have impact on the player should be mechanical, you create a custom move. For example, let's say that Uri's character is a new adventurer and Uri wants to play someone... I'm that a is new adventure. Nice. And Uri wants to play someone that is afraid of new monsters but most so, of
1: new adventurer
0: but most of them just being anxious when meeting new monsters he actually has a chance of being afraid of every new type of monster he meets because that's what Uri wants to play and it's fun for him to play that we can create a custom move that Uri rolls what whenever he encounters a new monster and then something happens depending on the role. What do we add to the role? What can happen? These are the important questions, of course. And it can be tricky because you can create any custom move you can come up with in powered by the public games, which is why many of the rule books suggest guidelines to how to create them, when to create them, because not everything actually requires um, a custom move. And there are long chapters about it, both in the, the original Apocalypse World and in Dungeon World. There's an entire chapter about hacking it as well in The Sprawl and um, City of Mist, of course, because it's really important that you are not only aware that you can create such a move, but that you are aware of the entire process around it. Because one of the important things we will be talking about in this section about sub mechanics is reiteration of playtest. The original move, the the one that you create in the first place, will not be good. It will have some problems. Something will be off. And you should be open to having it rewritten after you play it a few times. And that's true for every subsystem. Whenever you create something new, a system that stands by itself, it will not work as intended. And the iteration of playtest and development and retesting is... An integral part, I think, of using subsystems in the first place.
1: Also of inventing anything new into an existing oh, yes. world. Oh, yes. Now, there are tons of examples for adding new subsystem to support new narrative concept. You can see this in D&D 3rd edition with Psionics. You can see this in uh, uh, Pathfinder with Warlords or actually any other uh, class from the Path of War books. And I'm going to go on a limb and say pretty much every monk class in virtually every gaming system you have ever played has a new sub mechanic dedicated just for it.
0: I think that the guys at Pathfinder specifically, the the guys in Peso, really like creating new subsystems. Every adventure path that they publish has a new subsystem in it. Like, for example, I really liked in Hell's Rebels, the managing a rebellion subsystem which is a variation on creating and managing a kingdom that they did in Kingmaker.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to give them extra point for that because they probably use a lot of Adventure paths as proving ground for new mechanics. And you can you can really tell if they're working, they're going to take out a rulebook, specifying it, like doing another iteration, making it better across the board so it would fit more games and not just that specific needs of those adventure paths you can really see which of the subsystem made the cut and which did not
0: yes yes but what I really like here is the customization like for example in managing the rebellion in Hell Rebels it's all about that rebellion in that specific city for that specific campaign and while of course this is by definition unusable in any other campaign of Pathfinder Um, They did some work there to make sure that it works very well with that story. And I, I enjoyed that and I really liked it. Now, of course, that was professional by definition, again, because the guys that created the game created the subsystem. We as players and GMs will not be able to do, I think, such a good job, which brings us to the last point here.
1: Yep, and that is that multi-systems is not something that should be encouraged. It makes it very tricky to maintain game balance across different classes and across different gaming systems, because that's what you have. And it's always, always, always tricky to the point of walking a tightrope to try to give a new subsystem its own flares and abilities and panache while in the same time trying to place it on equal footing with the existing mechanics. A lot of time I, I remember D D across many of its editions, whenever ps- psionics would step into the game, there would be like a peek in the forums about, okay, so does dispel magic cancel out psionic magic? Uh, detect Psionics can detect magical effects? What about Psionic versus divine magics and etc, etc. because you're trying to find where does this new mechanic fits with all the others. And whenever there's, you know s- friction between existing mechanics and new mechanics, there's gonna be issues with game balance,
0: which is why I generally try to avoid adding new sub mechanics. Instead, I will use the old mechanics in a new way all go to the extreme, which is the next point, and shamelessly steal mechanics from other system that specialize in the thing that I want and are almost completely irrelevant to the rest of the system, a subsystem all by itself that is taken wholeheartedly and completely for some rest.
1: Yep, I'm gonna give my favorite example right now, which is from unknown armies, the madness meter. It's basically a set of five things which your character has some sort of feeling toward. It could be violence, helplessness, supernatural, etc. And every time your character comes in contact with one of these, you either become jaded, meaning they affect you less, or you become sensitive to it, meaning they affect you more. And this is a very good way of keeping track what are the things which scares your character and what are the things that your character is already sort of used to. And it's a mechanic which I really love because I feel like a lot of other gaming systems don't have the persistent effect. Okay, my character has gone through 15 fights with dragons. I would like to say that she no longer feel scared around dragon because she encountered so many of those
0: and i like it because it informs the way that you portray your character it can also inform other mechanics but it doesn't have to inform them if you want to be the only person in the group that uses the madness meters simply to keep track of what your character is like and what she is afraid of and how jaded she is that's awesome that should, that can be enough you can go a step further and say well everyone uses madness meters and a dragon's fear aura um, will be either strengthened or weakened compared to your midness meters, and, and you can go there, but you don't have to. I really like long-term injuries in any system. I just like knowing that my character has a broken leg. Maybe it's because of too many years playing d where there's no such thing as actual injury. There's only HP. And when HP is at 1, you are as powerful and as vigorous as you are when HP is at 200. But the minute it's at 0, you're just out of the game. But it doesn't essentially say how. And I always miss the part of, okay, but you can't use your left hand. So I like long-term injuries. And I really like how they do them in Fate and in Mistborn, for example. So I might steal it directly from there. Because in Fate, it's a short sentence, like in everything else in Fate. It's an aspect, something that I will write down on my character sheet and will have mechanical effects on whatever is happening. Like it might be, my arm is broken.
1: Pathfinder is just minus four for not using your main arm.
0: Okay, that's great because now I know that I can't use my main arm and so I'm using the minus four from the books, etc. That's simply reusing old rules as we said in the start, which is excellent and it's a lot simpler than having to do anything else. It does require me to write down, however, my arm is broken because there's no place in the character sheets for that thing in Pathfinder until I create it as long-term injury, which is a box where I can fill in new stuff. In Mistborn, for example, long-term injuries don't give you any minuses, they give bonuses to your opponents. And by the way, to you as well. So if your left arm is broken, it doesn't necessarily mean that you fight any less efficiently than you would otherwise, keeping you in check with the other people in your group. So, you know, you haven't hurt the game balance by being less efficient, but it does mean that when someone else utilizes your broken arm, he gains, for example, an advantage. So if, for example, a stirge, which is this horrible blood-sucking thing, attached to attaches itself to your left arm, you are much less able to defend against it, and it will gain an advantage in the attack or something like that. And I like it because it's powerful narratively without actually hurting your chances in doing anything. It makes it hard for you to exist, you know, in the world. <laughs>
1: but that's fair.
0: It's a long-term injury. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want.
1: It, it doesn't make it hard for you to exist. It make it easier for others to cause you not to exist. It, <laughs>
0: that's, true. that's true, but it doesn't hurt my hit points. It doesn't mean that I can't attack or it doesn't mean that every attack that I do make will be at half efficiency or whatever.
1: I would summarize it differently. It doesn't make the game any less fun on my hand. yes ah, on my hand <laughs> on my end it does but it does pose new obstacles, which I think is the point in gaming systems. that's that's why we had all these discussions about yeah, the yeah. save or die rolls because they end the game. They end the fun. They cause the game to not be fun. If, if you are paralyzed or cannot do anything, you as a player no longer enjoy the game. It's great that you mentioned fate because I love the whole stress system from fate, not just the, the long-term consequences or short-term. I, I remind you that there are three short-term, yes. medium, and, and long-term consequences to think. I love the stress system because A... He treats physical and mental damage the same. You can have two stress damage mentally or physically. And if you like to expand your game, you can simply add another stress level. For example, okay, I have a social stress level. And now if someone insults me in public, I might take stress damage to my social hit point, as it were. It's a very elegant system. It's very abstract, granted, but I love it because it it scales very well. And it doesn't take the fun out because you can have your character get his ass kicked repeatedly in every scene and still keep going. In that sense, I think they really captured the essence of the Dresden File novels. Yes. Because Harry Dresden gets his ass kicked pretty much on a regular basis in every other chapter and it still keeps going, and you can have that exact feel when playing the game. For those of you who don't know, there's an excellent Dresden role-playing system which is based completely on Fate, and now they also have an accelerated version, so you don't need to read this really long book of rules and world descriptions, etc. But you should, because it's amazing, and it's so well edited and graphically designed.
0: Now, for example, I also steal the chase mechanics from Savage Worlds and take them into other systems. When I run D&D 5 and I want to have a chase scene, I will do it probably in the way that it works in Savage Worlds. Simplified, but still in rounds and maybe not drawing cards, but number of actions that you get according to how well you roll your skill check to start the chase and et cetera, et cetera. And the reason, the main reason for it is that D&D doesn't have any dramatic task sort of thing, which is a shame because again, D&D 4 had the skill challenge mechanic, which was versatile and interesting and Well, some fan-made stuff were even more interesting than that. But the thing is, there was a mechanic there that is unfortunately unavailable today for D&D 5. I will put some links in the show notes to people that created or recreated skill challenges because I think they are missing from systems like Pathfinder and D&D. And it is a type of mechanic that you should shamelessly steal and take it into... Your game.
1: Definitely. I will give another disclaimer here. Please pay attention to game balance. If you add a new mechanic, any new mechanic, it's potentially disruptive to the game balance as intended by the game designer. I try and do this only with game systems that I know very, very well meaning that I've played both as a player and as a dungeon master and I've read up on the philosophy and concepts behind the gaming system and I know how to add something new without disrupting the old. Plus, as we mentioned before, I bear in mind that if I add something and broke something else, I'm going to reiterate and fix it and work with my players to make the game fun, not broken.
0: Excellent. Finally, the fourth way you can probably do this is not do it at all. For example, if you want to show us how your character is very afraid of every new type of enemy that she meets, you can do it away from the table. You can do it in an email or you can do it in a post where you post somewhere where we all can see it. When you write a short bit about how you are afraid about it or as a weekly question that you send to everyone or that you answer yourself, etc. The reason is, if it's around the table, we expect mechanics. If it's not around the table, it's fine. You don't have to do it mechanics. We can just read your story and see what happens. This is not an ideal solution, because generally speaking, if you want to be a character that is afraid of monsters, the best way to do it is to be afraid of monsters when you encounter them. And as we said, every type of effect that we think is interesting narratively should be reflected in mechanics. So uh, that's not the best solution. It is, however, a solution and it's possible. Maybe not for this specific example, but other examples where you would want to have something and it cannot in any way be created mechanically around the table.
1: Yep, mainly earth-shattering, game-balance-distorting, unique thingies (laughs) which would probably, if have any rules implication whatsoever would destroy the world in which you play yeah that's that sort of thing keep it off the table <laughs> sure if you have any interesting game system which you usually steal from other mechanics or if you have your own special sub mechanics we would love to hear about that simply drop us an email send us a message on facebook we're on twitter simply tell us, listen, we love this specific sub-mechanic from this specific game uh, because I love mechanics and if there's some great sub-mechanic which I'm not aware of, I would love if someone would drop me a line so I could read up on that.
0: Awesome. I think it is time to take the load off. Taking the load off! This is the part of the show in which we talk a bit about role-playing games, but in our personal lives. Uri.
1: I had a great session this week, and it's amazing what can happen when you play to your party's strength. We, for some unknown reason, were uh, fighting cultists of the god of disease and pestilence. I... Always went ahead because I'm the big ass, strong fighter, heavily armored, blah, blah, blah. So I take point. But I kept getting really weird diseases because we're fighting the God of Pestilence and basically every one of his cohorts has some sort of disease related ability. That figures. Yeah. And, and suddenly, you know, one of the players said, dude, wh- why not send the Paladin first? And I'm and and my head like you know the gears are spinning really really slowly because I'm better armored because I do more damage because I'm um but then it suddenly hit me the paladin is immune to diseases. What possible reasons not to send the paladin first? So we we use the paladin basically as a as a wall of remove disease mm. standing between us and and the opponents. And it's amazing how much if you, you simply accept the fact that it's a party because everyone have their own strengths and weaknesses, and if you play to your strengths, you're going to survive better and you're going to accomplish your goal in a better way. And that's one of those things that, you know, as I walk home, it reiterates in my mind how important are the lessons we take from our role-playing sessions. Because if you're part of a team, and we're all part of teams, be it at work or we're part of a family, and family is basically just your party, y- you should try and play to your strengths instead of just banging your head against the wall, trying to fight obstacles that you're not well equipped for.
0: And, and take all the diseases to yourself.
1: Indeed. Ah, okay. okay. So the, basically, the... all I'm saying is, people, you have learned so many valuable lessons From your role-playing games. Take this one to heart as well. Try and play to your party's strength. In play and off play as well.
0: Okay, that is a very good S Puri. And I have some news, not about my life, but about um, the the dwarves, us. From now on, every new episode will be automatically published to YouTube as well, because we've heard that some of you guys like to listen to us while doing something, and for some reason you like it when it's in YouTube. Actually, I get it, because I too listen to some podcasts through YouTube. I can't tell you why... Because my podcast is just a tab away, <laughs> as well, and yet some podcasts I listen through through YouTube. So you can now do it as well. And we have a new channel in YouTube for it. We'll give a link in the channel so you can subscribe. We don't currently have any plans to do anything else with this channel, although both Uri and I talked about doing streamings ages ago, and it still haven't happened. So you, you know, maybe maybe someday.
1: It's just that our faces were meant for radio and podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Secondly, in our group on Facebook, Uri just started a fun little post about elementals. What is your favorite type of elemental and why? And I like it because I really enjoy elementals. I always see them as part of a coherent magical system, because when you have, for example, the four elements, okay, classical four elements, you can start doing combinations and fun stuff, like they did in the days of a D and D and d and d three et cetera, when they say, "Okay
1: yeah, between... mud elementals
0: exactly between water and earth there's another type of elemental, and it's mud, and between water and positive energy, there's another type of elemental, et etc et etc and I like it it's fun combinations, and I enjoy it i My favorite type of elemental is mephit by the way, I really like mephits because they are small and
1: you know, annoying. They work well together.
0: And they work well together, yes. Which is what you just said a moment ago about cooperation, doing your thing. And yeah, mm-hmm.
1: nice. I, I I love elementals. I love pretty much all elementals. I love the fact that you can put two elementals in a room and you know what's going to happen.
0: Okay. Which
1: <laughs> gives you a lot of artistic freedom. The party walks in. On two elemental an air elemental and an earth elemental and they're just yelling at each other um, and the party have to deal with this in some way I used to I used to use a lot of elementals in my games but you know everything changed with the five elementals
0: were there. <laughs> nice <laughs> nice um, <laughs> I'll give a link in the show notes to Avatar the last airbender for those of you who don't know it <laughs> Finally, uh, one thing on a personal note, City of Mist is now available through World 20. I mean, the character sheet for City of Mist is now available for World 20. And it's probably the best looking character sheet they have there. It's amazeballs. (laughs) I'll give a link to show you guys how it looks, because it's really good. I don't know if you want to play City of Mist. I think you should. I don't know if you enjoy playing through Roll20. I think you should at least try it. But if you want to combine these two things that you might have never tried before, now you can do it. And I'll give links, everything, show notes, etc.
1: City of Mist is currently on the second notch, like number two on my list of companies who do, who do things right. Like, Paizo is number one. Okay. I Because they're doing things right, and even when they failed so far, and they have failed on, on some product lines, they still did it right. They did something right, it didn't work out, they closed it down, they moved on. And City of Mist are recurrently doing things right, be it the design and editing and graphics, design of the book the publication publicity their posts their the way they play around with the world the way they're engaging their audience the way that they invest in things like Roll20 to just doing things right I appreciate that
0: two things here first the name of the company is Son of Oak and second full disclosure I am the editor for City of Mist which is something that we haven't mentioned so far and we should probably say it
1: then I retract my statement about the editing of uh... Finally, if you
0: guys want to catch up with us, you can do so through Facebook or Twitter, where you can just search for Dwarf Podcast. Also, Dwarfcast.net is our website. And send us an email at show at Dwarfcast.net. Also, we now have a YouTube channel, as I've just said. So you can check us on YouTube as well, on the shoulders of dwarves.
1: So, farewell and have a great gaming week. We'll see you here on Monday. Yes. Every Monday. Yes.
0: On the Shoulder of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4 The intro and outro are taken from Silly Fun by Kevin McLeod, Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3 Find us at dwarfcast.net And follow us on Twitter or Facebook